Trouble, the roots of all things cinema. My name is Hans Eskelson, and I'll be your host, and I'm going to go over the top 10 movies of 2019. 2019 was a fantastic year when it came to movies. It's been some years you get a lot of great films, and there's just a lot to go see, whether it's independent or major uh out of this world type movie to, to um, other years where you just don't get that many movies that are strong. Um, this year, when I made my top 10 movie list, it was hard. I had a lot of honorable mentions in the, in the hopper. So to break it down to a top 10, I could have easily done a top 20, but to me, a top 10 f- list is the best way to go. So, without any further ado, we're going to go ahead and get started with number 10, Knives Out. Knives Out was a film uh, that came was directed by Rain Johnson, also starred Daniel Craig, Chris Evans, and Ana de Armas, who plays Marta the, the housekeeper. This movie was an interesting movie because when I saw the trailer, I remember seeing it and I was a little bit skeptical one with Daniel Craig's Kentucky accent but as I watched the film he really pulls off this accent in fact from what I understand they're looking at making more uh, sequels to Knives Out uh, starring with uh, Daniel Craig's character Benoit Blanc one key note as I go through these films I will not be giving any spoilers out except I think there's one I'll talk about uh, a little bit more, but we'll get to that, and you'll understand why. But Dan- Daniel Craig plays uh, a detective in nineteen uh, in uh, Knives Out, and what this what the what they're trying to figure out is he is trying to find out who killed uh, the the this famous murder mystery author Harlan Thornby, played by Christopher Plummer. The interesting thing about this film is when you get into it. Uh, you pretty much know who had done it, but you didn't understand why it was done or the reason why uh, and finding out all the clues, the reason why. And so it does take you through a roller coaster. So sometimes when you see a movie, they show you the proof. And now they got to show the pudding in the proof. Is it worthwhile? Does it taste good? And this movie definitely does. It is, again, written and directed by Rand Johnson. Rain Johnson just came off uh, scrutiny from his uh, prior film that he had done, which was Star Wars uh, Episode Eight. And the thing about that was, is uh, in Star Wars Episode Eight, it was very controversial because a lot of people didn't feel like it kept to the Star Wars feel of um, in in Star Wars. And so there, are, I, I've heard of people who do like the Last Jedi. I've heard of people who don't like the Last Jedi. But it's uh, the, it was more the majority. However, where I came to know Rain Johnson was from uh, two movies. Uh, first was a movie came out in '05 called Brick, a very uh, low budget but independent but very interesting film that stars uh, Joseph Gordon-Levitt and Lucas Haas. Very very fun movie. If you have if you are interested in t- kind of like another action crime drama, 
that would be the film to go see of Rain Johnson. The other one that a lot of people have seen is Looper, and that's with Bruce Willis and also uh, Gordon Le- Gordon Levitt. So it's another great uh, film. But I think this one tops it between those two prior. Very creative, very interesting film. It is one of those films that I do recommend definitely seeing. So that would be number 10. Now, going into number nine, Yesterday. Yesterday is one of those films, again, not a very highly well-known film. Uh, It was more onto the indie track of it. What made it very popular, though, was the director, Danny Boyle. And who knows and what it's based off. Um, It's basically about a struggling musician who realizes that he... After getting hit by a bus, he wakes up and he's the only person that knows the Beatles ever existed. And he was coming into this timeline where they didn't exist in the effects of the Beatles never being on this earth. Very loving story. It's uh, based, uh, it's the main character is named Himesh Patel uh, by plays a guy named Jack Malik um, who decides to go through this journey um, of deciding was he should he or should he not um, uh, use the Beatles songs as his own Um, very beautiful film as it goes on and it's one of those films though uh, when you get near the end there's a scene that just is one that one of those scenes that you don't see maybe in every decade but especially if you're a beatles fan it's probably one of the best parts of the movie or as a beatles fan that you'll ever see cannot tell you what it is but when you see it you'll understand what i'm saying uh i think lily james who uh plays ellie appleton she's the girlfriend slash uh fiance of jack mallet she is going to be a huge star. She's growing, going through the ranks right now. She was in Baby Driver, uh, Cinderella as Cinderella, and has been in Mamma Mia and Pride and Prejudice and Zombies. But her resume, I can tell you that she will be one in the future to be nominated for a Best Actress she is that good of an actress and plays a really loving role in this film. A really good supporting cast. And it is one where if you are a Beatles fan or love music, this is one that you will love. You'll sing along with it. You'll enjoy it. And, uh, it's, and it's definitely one that will definitely make you think. And, uh, it's one that I think is one of the, out of a lot of the films that we'll talk about today, is probably one of the most rewatchable films out there. Uh, it's interesting, though, uh, Danny Boyle, who is the director, again, he is, to me, is one of the more underrated directors of all time. Though he did yesterday, he uh, is well known for doing, you know, winning the Oscar for Slumdog Millionaire been nominated for 127 hours. I was with James Franco. 
28 days later and came onto the scene where he really popped into the scene is when he did the movie train spotting back in 96. Um, but he, one of the, if you really want to see a really cool film done by uh, Danny Boyle, check out a sci-fi movie he did called sunshine. Uh, it was back in 2007, really good, beautiful film. But what's interesting about it is he made the comment that after doing a, a sci-fi film, you almost don't want to ever do one again because they are very, very intense. I am disappointed and really sad that he's not he stepped out from doing the James Bond movie that's coming out. I really would have loved to see what he could have done with a James Bond film. He is that good of a director. But he did such a great job, again, with Yesterday. I, I don't think it got enough praise, but it is one for me that, again, we'll go back to see. Going to number eight. One, uh, This one uh, is a very uh, long movie. It's about a three and a half hour long movie. It's The Irishman. The Irishman is kind of a movie that brings back the Italian greats. You know, you've got Robert De Niro who plays pretty much the middleman or the Irishman hitman. He was no, uh, Frank Sheeran is his name. And you kind of follow through his life from world war two till really old age. Uh, you get to follow along with the story of Jimmy Hoffa, played by Al Pacino. And we get to see this the side where he claims, well, not going into much into it, but you get to see the whole Al Pacino story. Uh, I mean, Jimmy Hoffa's story played by Al, but about the influence he had on the unions and the relationship he had with Frank Sheeran. Then you have Joe Pesci, who's actually, you know, Al Pacino and Joe Pesci are both nominated in, for the Oscars this year. But Joe Pesci, what's interesting is when I think of Joe Pesci, I think of Goodfellas, the outspoken, you know, casino where he's just violent and very intense or the Joe Pesci of My Cousin Vinny, who just doesn't stop, you know, talking. He's very good at what how to relay what he's saying. But this one, he's known kind of like the quiet one, the, the boss. He plays Ruffle uh, Buffalino, who's uh, kind of like a, one of the mob bosses, but is very quiet, but does such an excellent job. Anna Paquin, who's the plays the daughter of uh, Frank Sharon, uh, playing her, her name as Peggy, does even though she doesn't speak much, you can see that's really part of the movie, the reason of the character. And she just has a powerful performance while filming that filming in Irishman. I really did enjoy this. I mean, it is a great compilation to a lot of the mob movies or gang movies that uh, you see. Uh, Martin Scorsese, Martin Scorsese do. You know, it's interesting, you know, a lot of people think, oh, Al Pacino and Robert De Niro back again. Well, they've only been technically on screen together 
and two other films, uh, the righteous kill. And then you've got heat, which to me is probably that my favorite film of those two together. They were in Godfather part two, but never in the same screen or same, uh, yeah, same screen ever once. Uh, it's such a beautiful film that it's uh, two stories that are running parallel to each other, but you'll never see them in it. But that's why I don't include that in there. But I'm telling you, it's just such a great, uh, great to see those two, you know, acted out together um, through this film. Uh, it's again, it's a three and a half hour film, but it does go by really fast. Um, very, it is very uh, violent at times. Uh, it's a, it is a crime film. If anybody's seen anything of Marty Scorsese, that's uh, of the gangster related, mob related, you know that it's going to be intense. And it was a great, beautiful, but very intense film. So that is my number eight. Going to number seven, Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, to me, is kind of like one of those films that's like a hangout film. It's a, it's a film that uh, is directed, it's his ninth movie, written and directed by Quentin Tarantino. And it stars uh, Brad Pitt who is uh, Rick Dalton. He's kind of uh, on the downside of his career in, in the movie industry. And then his uh, stunt devil, uh, Brad Pitt, who is uh, his uh, acting name, or his name is an actor in there. His name is Cliff Booth, who's a guy who's just riding along with Rick Dalton. They're pretty much brothers throughout the film. Uh, this is during the time of Hollywood where you had uh, the, the Manson murders. And so it's right around that time telling that story kind of in an alternate way. And it's interesting because Margot Robbie plays Sharon Tate and Emil Hirsch plays Jay Sebring. Um, but you've got so many all-star, all-star characters in this film. It's fun to see uh, Kurt Russell in this film. You've got Dakota Fanning. You've got Luke Perry. I think this is one of his last films. To even, uh, again, you get to see Al Pacino, again, uh, playing Marvin Schwartz in this film. I really, again, it's just a good hangout movie. I was thinking about this. Out of all the movies that you see, like a hangout movie with, you really get to, you don't get to see that very often except I remember when you see a movie uh, that came out by directed by George Lucas and no, I'm not talking about star Wars uh, and no, I'm not talking about TH X 1000. I'm talking about American graffiti. Uh, American graffiti is one of those films where you watch hanging at your hanging out, listen to the radio kind of going through it. And I really felt that this was a type of vibe like that. Uh, I was talking to a friend that lived down there in that era uh, in the sixties. And he said that the way that it was reconstructive old Hollywood was exactly the way that he remembered it. In fact, it brought back a lot of memories. Quentin Tarantino, again, beautiful film that he did. Again, it's a, 
if you know anything about Quentin Tarantino, it does have the violence and the the excess violence that has into it to to add the flair to his stories. But uh, I think this this movie is one of Leonardo DiCaprio's best films that he has done, especially in a long time. There's this part in there where he is with a young girl named uh, actress named Julia Butler is playing Trudy Frazier. Now, just so you know how old she is, she was born in 2009, so she just turned, she's about 10 years old. And there's a scene together with them, and it's probably one of the best acting scenes I've ever seen with Leonardo DiCaprio. And as she plays off Julia Butters. The one thing I really enjoy, too, was seeing Brad Pitt. Uh, uh, his, and the way that he plays this stunt double, you get to see some of the... Uh, The, the the memories that he has of certain things. Uh, so, it, it, again, very well scripted, very well articulated. Um, and it's one of those films that, again, it was almost an ode to the 60s era of Hollywood. So that would be it. And, oh, and before I go on, I mean, with nominations, it did get... Uh, it did get... Uh, some praise you'll see it nominated for best picture leo did get nominated for best actor though i don't think he'll win i mean it's going to be really hard against uh joe phoenix as the joker and i mean realistically brad pitt i think for me was one of the best he's what made that mil- that movie uh and he's also nominated for best supporting actor so again, really well done. Um, cinematography in this movie was great. Uh, so that would be my number seven. Going to finish up the bottom five of uh, of my top ten films of 2019 is a movie called Peanut Butter Falcon. Peanut Butter Falcon. You, there isn't much that you'll see regarding award seasons. But to me, this is one of the best movies I've seen in in the last 10 years. The movie is uh, directed by, it was actually written and directed by Tyler Nelson and Michael Schwartz. Um, they've done movies, uh, they haven't written, uh, directed a lot of movies. In fact, a lot of it has been short stories before this. So for them, I mean, they've they've written some things uh like uh, uh moped diaries and broken pinky promise some other indie stuff but with this film what it's about is it's an adventure story kind of like a huck finn type of it but it's about a a kid who's named zach he's a 22 year old who has down syndrome and he is kept in a nursing home However, they won't let him out because his dream is to meet and to enter in a wrestling school of the Saltwater Redneck. Uh, Saltwater Redneck is a kind of like a southern type of WWF wrestler, and he's played by Thomas Hayden Church, who uh, he's been in a lot of countless uh, movies throughout the years, uh, really well known for Sideways. 
But this kid with uh, Down syndrome, he escapes from the nursing home that he's in. And he runs into uh, uh, Tyler, who's played by Shia LaBeouf. And Shia LaBeouf's character is a guy who's just down on his luck. He's uh, almost uh, kind of like a small-time outlaw who's on the run because uh, he's done some unsavory things. But then he takes Zach under his ring to get him to uh, find his dream uh, down south. And I think it's a mutual thing because he's trying to get away from the law. Uh, it's a, and then you've got Dakota Johnson who's playing Eleanor, who is trying to find Zach to bring him back. It's a very beautiful film. It makes you laugh. It makes you cry. It makes you just really enjoy a happy, good movie. Uh, the thing that I found that was interesting about the film too, was it, it really allows a guy, a kid who you know Zach uh, got Gottesen, who has Down syndrome, as the leading character, and he just does such a great job, uh, just um, being able to take the lead. It is one of those films too that uh, has such a great supporting cast. It's got John Barenthal. And it's got John Hawks. And if you don't know who John Hawks is, you got to look him. He's been in three billboards of Missouri. And then he was also in uh, the the famous Deadwood, uh, the show Deadwood off HBO. I mean, he's just such a great actor. Uh, but these guys, you know, you've got also Jonathan D. Williams in there, Deja D., Lee Spencer. I mean, a lot of good. And Bruce Stern of course, who helps start this whole ruckus. But anyways, long story short, just a really fun film. This is, if there's anything on this list, they're all great films, obviously, because we're doing top 10. But this film is just, just such a heartwarming film. Uh, it's for all to see and definitely recommended. So that rounds up the bottom five. Again, number 10, Knives Out. Number nine, Yesterday. Number eight, Irishman. Number seven, Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. And number six, Peanut Butter Falcon. We're going to take a quick break uh, and we'll be back for our top five. Thank you. Welcome back to Pop Trouble. This, my name is Hans. And again, thank you for joining us for this episode of the Top 10 Movies of 2019. Now we go into our top five films of 2019. This next film that we will talk about, number five, is one of the biggest films of all time. That is Avengers Endgame. Avengers Endgame is the, the, the conclusion to about 22 films that Marvel has put out. Uh, to me, it really seals uh, in the Hall of Fame of movie execs of Kevin Foggy of how he's put this whole thing together and just uh, one of those films that I'm sure this is the film I talked about that hey perhaps I am going to give some spoilers because it did over two billion dollars in in ticket sales so that I would assume that majority of you if listening have seen it it's an interesting way it's a 
to how do you top the one when you have uh, Infinity War end in such a sad note that you have um, how how do you go back from that? You lose we lost half the population, half of all living species in the universe, um, and though you're seeing the benefits of what Thanos wanted. It was a very depressing and very difficult time for human beings on the earth. So it comes into how can you tie all this up? Well, obviously, you're going to need time to do it. And so that's why it's about a three-hour film. Uh, but it is a three-hour film that takes all three hours and doesn't leave a dull moment. It is such a fun, very inspiring film that the Russo brothers who directed it, I really feel like they couldn't have done a better job. Uh, if you don't know who the Russo brothers did, they did do infinity war, but they also did uh, captain America winter soldier and captain America civil war in the Marvel universe. Um, they're, they've got their hands in a lot of things, but they, again, they're really doing they really came out of the the TV uh, series uh, culture, like doing community and doing happy endings and carpoolers. And then they came in to do this. I mean, the Marvel obviously struck gold when they got them, just like they did with Takawatiti when he did uh, Thor Ragnarok. But it's fun because uh, they, they took on Avengers Endgame. And to me, that is a feat. I don't – that. I was curious, and I think a lot of people were curious how they're going to do it, and I felt like they hit a home run with it. When you have so many characters and how you're going to deal with the consequences of what happened with Thanos, I and the fact that they the, the, the consequences that we saw throughout the whole thing and the questions that come from it, uh, especially with Tony Stark um, having to make the decision to come back even though his life had continued on though it was sad he had a beautiful uh, family that he was raising but knew that he had to do it it was a the thing that was tough was to see the ending that you knew that the order for this to happen you had to have the greatest sacrifice which we saw it was a very interesting twist that we got to see with uh, chris hemsworth character thor becoming the lebowski thor really it was uh something ingenious you saw some differences you add some different thoughts about it that was kind of like eh, about hulk becoming the banner hulk combo it did turn out very it did turn out well uh and it was just kind of it was just fun to see it was just really fun to see the whole thing and the fact that that scene where you see it near the ending of the, the final battle and you saw it was almost like a, one of those comic books that you can open up and it folds out on both sides of the comic book because the scene, the, the, the drawing is so big. It was just like that in the theater. It was just so many characters showed up all at once for the battle and how they, they put that together was just incredible. Um, it was cool to see how Jeremy Renner's character played a very intimate role and explained why we didn't see him in Infinity Wars, but yet at the same time seeing the character of Ronan come out during it and before he returned to Hawkeye. 
it's a uh, the one thing that always uh, for me and my conspiracy theory and my family we're debating this and though I've heard a lot of people say it's stupid but I'm still a believer of it is that the question that I that comes up is you know with Natasha uh, Romanoff who died sacrificed herself well with uh, Chris Evans bringing the the soul stone back would he be able to reverse that her death was because he's given the soul stone back. I don't know the answer in the timeline. Does she not die? I mean, it's just a question now. Obviously, I've always heard, no, she did die. But yet here we come with a new movie of her this year. I know it's a prequel to Infinity War. But it'll be interesting to see how they come with it. It's, it's interesting because though I'm, I and yes, I'm going to spoil this, Spider-Man Far From Home is not in my top ten list. That movie very well was a great way to segue into the future phases of the Marvel Universe. Uh, the, the thing about this film is how Marvel just shows the, the pedigree and the blueprint of how to make these epic type of films. Uh, and it really does come down to whether it's editing, cooperation, and just great knowing when to use these characters it just was phenomenal it was beautifully shot it's one of those shot those movies i don't know if we'll ever see again i I don't see dc ever being able to accomplish what they did and i hope they don't try because dc has it great i mean look at wonder woman i think is one of the best uh superhero movies that, that dc if not one of the best that dc has come out with uh, you see that in uh, Dark Knight. I mean, you, you have these films that they've got their own thing. They don't need to copy, and I hope they don't. But kudos to Marvel for doing what they did. And it was very um, brave to to kill off one of your main characters, but it made sense as well in order for it to, to handle on. So that would be my number five film. Now going to number four. Ford versus Ferrari. Ford versus Ferrari uh, is directed by James Mangold. Uh, for those who don't know what he's directed before, he did Logan. It's talking about superhero movies. Uh, Logan was uh, a wonderful film that was done in 2017. To me, is one of the best, again, Marvel movies ever done, though it's not in the Marvel Universe. Beautiful movie about Logan as an old man. Uh, with Xavier trying to uh, figure out what to do with life, how to end life. It's a very deep, dark movie, but was beautifully done. And he also did Walk the Line. He's uh, and he's been a, a, a producer on a lot of big films like The Greatest Showman. Uh, he also directed uh, Copland, uh, Night and Day, and. Uh, one of the hardest uh, remakes, but turned out so well that to me it it rivals the original is 310 to Yuma. So James Mangold decides to bring Ford versus Ferrari. Now, when you first when I first heard Ford versus Ferrari, I was I'm a car guy, so I was excited, but I knew a lot of people that were like, eh, Ford versus Ferrari, you know, what is this? I mean, it's just a car, it's a movie for car geeks. But what's interesting is it really isn't. It's for everyone. I've heard more people who've seen it, loved it, who aren't car people. They don't. It's not about that. 
It's about the movie, and it really isn't about Ford versus Ferrari. I mean, yeah, it's based off uh, the 66 Le Mans race. It's a 24-hour race. Uh, um, But it is such a beautiful film about... um, Really, it wasn't about Ford versus Ferrari. It was about Ford versus Shelby and Ford versus Ken Miles. Ken Miles, it's based off a true story of Ken Miles, who's played by Christian Bale, who is probably the best driver in the world, but yet is just down on his luck. He's got a beautiful family, but they're just on the brink of being homeless almost. Uh, he is buddies with uh, Carol Shelby, and anybody who knows Shelby, I mean, they do a lot of like uh, Shelby Camaro, uh, not Camaro, Shelby Cobra, um, Cobras, which is like a Mustang type, but it's their own version. Uh, they do a lot of raced car type uh, cars, some of the best cars I think personally out there on the road. If you could have a sh- any type of Shelby, it you, know, you have a car that you should have for life. Um, Carol Shelby's played by Matt Damon. And it's basically, I would say again, Shelby versus Ford. It's amazing to see the, the battles that they had to fight, uh, against, uh, the executive team of Ford because Ford wanted a race team, but they wanted it their way, not anybody else's way and how it was done. Um, but yet it was just a beautiful, very well acted, film um it's amazing because josh lucas who plays leo baby who's one of the uh uh the execs who plays pretty much to me as the villain in the film you don't see him as a villain normally when you see josh lucas he's always kind of like the good guy in the film and for me to see him play this character was kind of different but honestly it worked out so well it's one of those films that uh Again, I, I want to own when it comes out uh, to to buy. John Barenthal, again, is in this film. Ironically, he plays Lee Iacocca, who helps tries to do the merger originally. It was when uh, Ferrari was on the brink of bankruptcy and Ford was going to buy him out, so they had a racing team. Uh, and then Fiat came in and bought, uh, stole the deal. Um, this is stuff that, again, I'm not really ruining the film with that, I don't think, just because that's what's happened in history. I'll never forget, I had a buddy, He's uh, his family uh, is very into Ferraris. Uh, they're a Ferrari family uh, since he was born. His dad, his grandfather worked for Ferrari and father, I mean, it kind of goes down the family. And he was telling me, he's like, they didn't, they were nervous of seeing it. I said, no, you got to see this because this is not, bashing Ferrari. This is not a bashing Ferrari movie. And when he saw it, he was like, holy cow. No, you were right. It's a movie, and it's it's just a good competitive sport movie almost, but if you consider it a sport, yeah, it was very competitive, very well done. Uh, again, it's for the, great for the husband and wife to go see. It's great for teenagers. They would really enjoy seeing it. Uh, it's just a great movie overall. Uh, what's cool about it is, though, it is nominated for Best Picture. It is also, uh, I really felt like Matt Damon did get snubbed for a leading actor role, but 
Um, and I really felt that the biggest snub out of all of it would be Christian Bell as uh, Ken Miles. He made that film. I, I don't think if he had Christian Bell or Matt Damon in the film, this film would not have been as good as what it was. Those guys, their their chemistry and their acting on this film was just one that, man, I would love to. I, I just would love to see them do more roles together in films. I think they they do a good duo. Yes, I know he's got his buddy that he's really great chemistry with Ben Affleck and some of the films that he's done. But I'm talking about Mount Damon. But real realistically. Man, I'd love to see Matt Damon do more films again with Christian Bale. All right, so that is number four. Now, number three, Parasite. Now, what is Parasite? Parasite is a, mo- a South Korean film uh, done by Bung Joon-ho. He, and I hope I'm saying that right, Bung Joon-ho, I think that's what it is. He dr- wrote and directed this film. And it's a very, very good film. And I'm going to tell the least about this as much as I can. And the only reason why is because this is one of those films that you just kind of have to see from the beginning without much going into it. It's a very, it's kind of like a dark comedy, crime, drama, almost thriller type all throughout the film. Uh, There is some violence and in it and uh but basically it's about a family of four you know who are down on their luck i mean they're pretty much almost one step away from being on the streets um very poor trying to find ways to make money they come through this opportunity through one of his son's uh friends to work for this family. And as they all find ways to help to get to work with this family, and that's as far as I'm going to go, you really get to see the interesting workings of what it takes for everyone to work and everyone to make money. And at the same time, there is definitely some twists and some very social uh, issues that are brought up in this film. Now, when I bring that up, it's kind of interesting. Living in Central America and Guatemala and Honduras, I see a lot of this. So when I saw this film, it really brought me back to uh, when I lived down there about the different the the combatancy that there is no such thing as middle class. There's either the poverty or the rich, and you got to do whatever you can take to get um, to get uh, to get ahead. And this film definitely shows that. And it's a, it, and I don't want to go into anything more about this, except though it reminded me of a story of my wife's grandmother. And she'd kill me if I told you this, but I'm going to share it because I think it's funny because it reminds me of this film. There was a car accident in Guatemala and it was a f- seafood truck. And so what happens usually is when there's an accident, like that of a semi or something and there's goods all over the place. People just go and take it because that's what they can get to eat. Well, they came home and they found her cooking all these nice prawns up, which is very rare down there. Well, seafood truck on an accident. She was out there collecting all the shrimp 
off the ground to, to cook it up. But again, that's what they did to survive. And I mean, if we think about going to the store, you can go to any type of store, get, you know, a pound of shrimp, a pound of prawns. It's going to cost you maybe 10, 15 bucks. But for in these countries, something like that, that's like, that's like you just, you know, came across a rib roast or a flame, you know, in the middle of, uh, middle of nowhere or, you know, a very, very decadent type of food. So it, when you think about these films and you see this, you're like, holy cow, wow, you know, really, they got a lot they got to do to get what, what they need. The interesting thing, what caught my eye on this film is, yeah, there is subtitles, but I think that's a good thing. I think more of us need to watch more foreign films. There are so many great foreign films out there. In fact, one of my favorites of all time is Seven Samurai uh, by uh, Kurosawa. He, uh, if That movie alone, it's a Japanese film that has influenced more American films, Western films, and other films than any other film I can ever think of in the history of films. You got to read subtitles, but I'm telling you, it's well worth it. If you can get over reading it, I'm telling you, you there's so many beautiful, beautiful films out there. French to, I mean, really any language. A 400 Blows is one of my favorite uh, film, French New Wave films. Very beautifully done. But I would know that if I didn't take the chance. It, it, these are just films out there that like Parasite that you should see. Which interesting th- about uh, about Parasite though is yes, it's nominated for best foreign film, but it's also nominated for best film. So it is one that you need to check out. Um, it is so well directed well crafted and it is definitely a must see uh the last thing i'll say about parasite is that it, i did find out it is coming out to rent so definitely check it out so that would be uh, number three now we go into the top two and the number two film jojo rabbit jojo rabbit was a film that it's just when I first saw the trailer for it, I didn't know what to think because to me it's about a we're going into the mind of a a young boy who is in the Hitler Youth Army and his goal is to become a Nazi. It's directed by uh, Taika Waititi, who again did Thor Ragnarok. He has done some other real cool films. Very. Uh, independent films. One of my favorite ones that he did that you should check out. It's called What We Do in the Shadows. Very funny film. And he's also directed actually the um, uh, The Mandalorian. Uh, the last episode of The Mandalorian. If you haven't checked that out. Taika Waititi is very, a very interesting but a very uh, I think one of our the next Charlie Chaplin of our times when it comes to directors. And that's a big statement. Now, again, when I first started watching the film, you know, it was about 10 minutes into it, and I was I felt a little bit uneasy only because I don't like the fact that I don't want I was worried that we're taking too light the Nazis, uh, and especially the the horrible 
uh, horrifying things that they did. But then I realized that this film, you have to go into understanding that we are in the mind when we're starting to watch this film of Jojo, who is a 10-year-old kid uh, in this film and, and going through that. He's got a imaginary friend uh, who is Hitler. But it makes sense the more as the time goes on in the film. He's got a mother uh, pl- named Rosie, played by Scarlett Johansson, and she is actually hiding a Jewish girl. And Jojo finds out about it. And it's how he deals with it. Because according to Jojo, and what they hear about Jewish people, um, is like that they, you know, things that were just outlandish, like they had horns or stuff like that. And so it's a very interesting perspective of that film. And you see the, the, the progression of the reality of what's going on during that era that Jojo didn't see before when he was living in his, uh, in his mind about what he thought uh, it was that what was going on was right when, when the reality was starting to set in. To me, Scarlett Johansson, she is nominated for Best Supporting Actress for this film, and for me, she would have my vote. To me, Scarlett makes this film. She does such a beautiful job in this film. Such a great acting performance. So much more than as she's nominated as well as the Best Actress for Marriage Story, but to me, this is hands down her best uh, acting performance. This movie does make you laugh. It really does tear up because you find out the goodness that happens within um, within the own German communities, that there was fight between what was right and what's wrong. Uh, the, the one character, without going again too much into it, is a Sam Rockwell's character as Captain Klinsendorf. He plays a character that is leading these kids, uh, teaching these kids how to fight in the war, um, but comes up to being... A very, uh, to me, how do I say this without giving too much away? I just would say he just plays a very intricate part of this movie. Uh, There's a debut of Archie Yates, who plays Yorkie. He's the best friend of Jojo, telling you this kid steals the movie. Just such a fun, lovable kid. And with some of the things he was saying, I'm telling you, very well and fun movie, uh, fun kid to, to watch. This movie is inspiring. This movie does go in the right direction that it should be. And it is one of those films that you should see. That is my number two. And yes, I, I do feel like Taika Waititi did get the snub for not being nominated for Best Director. But it was nominated for Best Picture. Um, and again, Scarlett has that deserving. And I hope that she wins the act, uh, best actress in a supporting role. Going into our number one film. Number one film this year is the movie 1917. The movie 1917 was directed by Sam Mendes. Sam Mendes, uh, for those who don't know, he directed Skyfall, uh, Road for, to Perdition, Revolutionary Road, but what makes this film very interesting is I when I went into this film, I, I want to do it because it's a movie based off World War One. But 
What's interesting about this film that I didn't realize when I was going into it is it was all done in one shot. A lot of times when I go into a film, I want to know as little as possible when I go into a film. And it's only because I don't want my, I don't want to, I don't want to decide uh, or have any preconceived notions when, or expectations when I go into a film. Obviously it's hard when, you know, when I saw, you know, the, the trailers for Irishman that came out almost a year ago, I was excited to see it. Um, but there's a lot of films that come out that I tried. I mean, Parasite, honestly, I didn't hear about till I heard a lot of rave reviews and I decided to, to take a chance on seeing it. So yeah, I'm kind of a hypocrite saying that, but I really try to go in as little as possible. But when you go in there, it, it's a movie that's done like in one shot, which means that it never leaves the scene. You don't get cut from one actor to another or one scene to another. It's as if it's real time from the beginning of the film all the way to the ending. And it's an interesting film because it's based off, but basically what it's about is two soldiers that get assigned that they got to get before an attack, a British attack happens. Um, that's basically would walk about 1600 British soldiers into a death trap of the Germans in World War One. So they really needed to get to this message to them as soon as possible. So it's a simple plot, but it's so thick throughout the whole adventure of it. It's such a very intense film that uh, it's two hours long, but it feels like it does not feel like two hours. It feels like maybe a half hour to 40 minutes because it's you're, you're entrenched in to that film with uh, the two main characters, which is played by George McKay as Lance Corporal Schofield and Dean Charles Chapman as Lance Corporal Blake. I do think it was great that Colin Firth played, even though it's a smaller role uh, in the film as the general Aaron Moore, because it adds a little bit more interest. Like why am I following it? You get to see that. And also Benedict Cumberbatch is in this film as well. It, in some other big time uh, actors, uh, especially English actors that you get to see play in it. And I think it just kind of helps the story just kind of like, Oh, here's the new character. One of my favorite is Mark strong. You see him, he plays a lot of villainous roles. So for me, it's like to see him in a, a role where he's a good guy. It was great to see. I, lo I love him in the movie Sherlock Holmes. I liked him. Uh, he was in Shazam last year. He's been in countless other films as well. Uh, but it's great to see him in this film and playing, you know, a good guy, I guess. Uh, it, this movie is intense from beginning to end. You really don't have time to get up to go anywhere. Um, but it's so well done, so well executed. It's something I've never seen before. I've seen a lot of war movies. Uh, I really enjoy seeing it because you get to learn a lot of things. But this movie was a very unique way of how to do it and how they the, it does. I mean, it, to me, it should win Best Picture. Also, it should uh, it should win Best Director as well in this film. Um, it's a very uh, again, and I also think the last thing I want to say it should win Best Cinematographer. It's done by Roger Deakins. Roger Deakins is very well known. Uh, he won last year for 
the movie Blade Runner 2047. Um, but he has done so many films where the cinematography is so beautiful. The, the direction of photography is so well done. It's almost like an art canvas that's done. If you love art, artwork, or anything, it's basically is what you're watching a, when you're watching a Roger Deakin shot film. So that is my top 10 list of movies of 2019. I'll go over it one more time to sum it up. So number 10, Knives Out. Number 9, Yesterday. Number 8, Irishman. Number 7, Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. Number six, Peanut Butter Falcon. Number five, Adventures Endgame. Number four, Ford versus Ferrari. Number three, Parasite. And number two, Jojo Rabbit. And my number one film, 1917. Again, thank you for listening to Pop Trouble, The Roots of All Things Cinema. My name is Hans. I'd love to hear your comments. I'd love to get some ratings and some reviews from you. And share it with your friends, family. I'd love to get... Uh, more feedback and to get more who would like to listen to uh, this uh, podcast of, uh, of ours. I'll be coming out with one about the, the Oscars that are coming up in the next, uh, this next Sunday. So it'll be fun to, to relay that. I'll go over who will win, who should win and the dark horse. And I'll go over the main categories. It'll be a fun episode and love to have you a part of it. Um, also, if you'd like to follow me, I am on Instagram at, at H Eskelson, E-S-K-E-L-S-E-N. And also on Twitter at the same at H Eskelson. I'd love to hear your comments. And, uh, if you have any questions, feel free to ask. Again, my name is Hans Eskelson. I was your host and hope you have a great night. Enjoy your time at the cinemas.